If you're a regular listener of the IRE Radio podcast, there's a good chance you've checked out other shows too. The number of people listening to podcasts has continued to climb over the last decade. In 2018, research shows 44% of Americans ages 12 and up reported they'd listened to one. 26% had listened to a podcast in the last month. So it's only natural that newsrooms would want to use the medium to reach a new audience and tell a story in a fresh and compelling way. On this episode, we're pulling back the curtain on a recent investigative podcast to learn how it came together. Abby Ivory Ganya asked Robin Amer to take us behind her USA Today show, The City. The 10-episode series takes listeners to an illegal garbage dump in the middle of a Black Chicago neighborhood, exploring the messy network of people and power dynamics that allowed it to grow six stories tall. And when I first found out about this illegal dump, I was like, how could this happen? And each of the elements that we look at in the show, whether it's political corruption or the involvement of the Chicago mafia or good old fashioned, you know, structural racism is one answer to that question of how this could happen, because it took all of these different forces combined in order to produce a a literal mountain of trash in this neighborhood. Robin will take us through the challenges of making documents and data work for audio and discuss some of the techniques she used to make the city come alive for listeners. And you have to ask like a lot of questions like, well, what did it sound like? How many were there? Like, what time of day was it? And then you build all those details into the writing. I'm Tessa Weinberg, and you're listening to the Irie Radio Podcast. This fall, USA Today released The City, an investigative podcast that explores how power works in urban America. Robin Amer is the show's host and creator. My work has always been about place, largely. So typically, I'll come across some place that is strange or confusing or fascinating in some way. And I feel very driven to answer the question, literally, what happened here? How did this place get to be the way it is? And what was the impact on people who lived here? Robin's reported in Chicago for more than 10 years, working in both print and radio newsrooms. She's covered real estate, infrastructure, and transit. But she's also been drawn to stories about the ugly side of cities, segregation, redlining, deindustrialization. In 2015, she won WNYC's Podcast Accelerator competition to develop a new show. And the city was later acquired by the USA Today Network. And so I had a vision for the kind of story that I was looking for for this podcast, but I didn't know exactly what the story was going to be. I just knew that I wanted it to be what I've described as like the wire, only true. So I wanted it to have like a really gritty sense of place where the city was as much a character in the show as the people themselves. And I wanted there to be like a multiracial ensemble cast that reflected kind of every segment of society and the way that people interact with each other. She also knew she wanted the story to have complexity and moral ambiguity. It's not like there was going to be some hero that was going to swoop in and save the day, that there was that the good guys were kind of bad at times and the bad guys were people that were human and you could empathize with. The city tells the story of a massive illegal construction debris dump in the middle of a black Chicago neighborhood and the man who put it there named John Christopher. And when I first found out about this illegal dump, I was like, how could this happen? Like, how could you get an illegal dump in the middle of a residential neighborhood? Like, who has to look the other way? What systems have to fail? Who has to get screwed over in order for the problem to get that bad? 
The answer is complicated. And because we're focusing on podcasts as a vehicle for investigative stories, we're not going to get into all the characters and plot twists. But trust us, there are many. You should definitely go check out The City when you're done with this episode. But here's what you need to know for now. The answer to that six-story dump involved the Chicago Mafia, political corruption, racism, and hundreds of secretly recorded FBI tapes. Robin first heard about the dump in Chicago's North Lawndale neighborhood more than 10 years ago when she was working at WBEZ, the city's public radio station. A colleague of mine said, oh yeah, back in the 90s, there was this undercover FBI investigation where Black and Latino aldermen gave permission for toxic waste to be dumped in their neighborhoods. And that version of the story was kind of wrong. But I remember thinking, wow, that's a crazy story. Like, they gave permission for toxic waste to be dumped in their neighborhoods? And I kind of forgot about it. Then, years later, she was reading a book about the history of garbage in Chicago. That's right, a book about garbage. And it had a chapter on the FBI's corruption probe of the city in the 90s. And she thought back to that conversation with her colleague. And I was like, oh, right, I remember reading about this. But his chapter went into so much more detail about this investigation and also made clear something that I hadn't fully appreciated when I first heard about the story, which is that the investigation stemmed in part from this literal six-story mountain of construction debris waste in the middle of a black residential neighborhood. And that this investigation had ultimately produced nearly 1,200 secretly recorded tapes made by this man, John Christopher, this illegal waste hauler turned FBI mole. Robin says some elements of this story were perfect for audio, but other parts presented a challenge. One of the biggest roadblocks was that they couldn't find John Christopher, the man behind the mountain of construction debris. Robin found out he's been under the FBI's protection for years. We never found him. Like, he is still out there somewhere, as far as we can tell. Um, And I spent, you know, three years trying to track him down and hit a lot of roadblocks both with his family and with the FBI. So they couldn't exactly interview John Christopher, but they did have a way to get his voice in the story. If anything made it perfect for audio, it was the existence of these FBI tapes, because I knew that if we could get those tapes, we would have something really special. John Christopher was a complicated guy. He had a lengthy criminal record and was wrapped up in some questionable business practices. Eventually, to avoid federal prison time for some of this stuff, he agreed to become a mole for the FBI. That put him at the center of an undercover corruption probe. As an informant, he was bribing elected officials all over Chicago, and he was doing it on tape. Because there's no politicians in this world that I know that don't do, give me this and I'll give you that. But getting the audio wasn't easy. The team eventually had to sue the FBI for access. The two things that used to keep me up at night were like, what if we don't get the tapes? Because it wasn't certain that we would get them. And what if we don't find John Christopher? Like, if we don't have the tapes and we don't have him, do we have a story that works in audio? They only got a handful of the tapes, but Robin says it was enough to illustrate John Christopher. I'm here to pay money, okay? And the only reason why you're sitting here is because you are a state legislator. I mean, it is the next best thing to, to talking with him. And it is this remarkable kind of time capsule moment. And it puts you in the room in the moment where these bribes are taking place. And that's just incredible 
tape. Because they couldn't talk to John Christopher himself, the team borrowed a technique from a famous piece of literary journalism. We basically took an approach that was like the the Frank Sinatra has a cold approach. So this is the famous Gay Talese essay about Frank Sinatra in which Frank Sinatra would not talk to him. So he just like talks to everybody around Frank Sinatra. And so you get this kind of remarkable portrait of this famous man. And so we we had to take a similar approach, right, is that we, we couldn't talk directly to John Christopher, but we had these tapes. We had transcripts of him on the witness stand and his own account of, of his criminal background. And we interviewed as many people as we could who had dealt with him directly to try to, like, build a portrait of this guy without actually having talked to him. The team also got their hands on court transcripts from a lawsuit the city of Chicago filed against John Christopher to get him to stop dumping. But stacks of paper don't really translate to audio. So they hired actors to read the transcripts verbatim and bring the documents to life. And the transcripts were great. They were very colorful. You got a real sense of his personality. Here's a clip from the show. The first voice is the actor reading for John Christopher. I don't handle waste, okay? And I know I am getting brought into a suit because of waste, because the city defining dirt, asphalt, and broken concrete is waste. I know that, but that is not waste. And that is not an issue to go over at this point. You know, I don't handle waste. It is your contention that you handle material. Is that correct? Material. We're like... Could we dramatize this? Like, could we hire actors to do this based on these transcripts? That was a whole conversation, like, with with our investigative editor. And I mean, it was just a whole ethical conversation about, like, is it okay for us to hire actors to play the role of John Christopher, to play the role of these lawyers and dramatize these scenes that happened 20 years ago? And we decided that, yes, because we had transcripts, exact transcripts, and we could say, you know, this all happened verbatim exactly like this. We're just hiring actors to read it, that it was acceptable. But that's something that we just, you know, we wouldn't have had to do in print. We could have just like cited the transcripts and quoted them and described the scene. But for audio, you have to actually like make it come alive in a different kind of way. Producing a story for audio requires a different approach to interviewing. In the first episode, Robin talks to two North Lawndale residents about when they first noticed dump trucks pulling into their neighborhood. We knew we wanted to kind of dramatize that, but it was kind of a hard thing to dramatize because you're like, well, what would that look like? And like, what are they seeing? And how are they reacting to it? And initially, they just said to us, like, well, you know, we just saw these trucks, these dump trucks. But that it's not enough. Like, it's not enough to build a scene. So the kinds of questions we had to ask were like, first of all, it's like, tell us where you were. Describe that place to us, right? One of the women they talked to was Dolores Robinson, a teacher at the elementary school right across from the vacant lot that ultimately became the dump. So for Miss Robinson, it's like she's at Sumner Elementary School. She's in her classroom. And her classroom is on the first floor and the window of her classroom is like looks out onto the street and across the street she can see the vacant lot. So then suddenly you're like, okay, now we have a setup, right? This is the place. And then into that place you inject some action. So then you're like, okay, tell me what you saw. And she starts to describe the trucks. And you have to ask like a lot of questions like, well, what did it sound like? How many were there? Like what time of day was it? And then you build all those details into the writing. Here's Miss Robinson describing what she saw. There was bricks and stones and concrete and, you know, uh, 
iron and just all kinds of construction debris. But, you know, to get her to get that one sound bite, you really have to ask like a ton of questions. And then you also build in like context and backstory. So then for me, the kind of boilerplate questions are like, what happened next? And how did you feel about it? And even if you just had those two questions, like, what happened next? How did you feel about it? What happened next? How did you feel about it? Like, you can kind of build the narrative beat by beat after that. The key to great audio is letting listeners hear directly from sources, like Gladys Woodson, North Lawndale's neighborhood matriarch. I would much rather hear from Miss Woodson directly and hear her voice and the tone of her voice you know, and her anger and her frustration and her cynicism and her incredible humor than to see that quote on a page. Like, Miss Woodson's quotes on a page, I think, they can look kind of dead and lifeless, right? But when you hear her say this stuff, like when she says, there's a quote in episode 10, it's one of my favorite quotes of hers. And a lot of that stuff they dumped was uh, hassling. And you ask me, how do I know it was hassling? Because when the people come to remove it, they was wearing math and space suit. And she's talking about hazmat suits, right? You know exactly what she means. You're like, oh, yeah. And I and you understand, like, why when she would see that, she'd be like, oh, God, this stuff can't possibly be safe because those people are wearing hazmat suits. So I love hearing people's voices and hearing them, you know, speak in their own words and, like, the kind of richness and emotion and, and the tone that you get when you actually hear people talking. At its core, the city is structured around the illegal construction dumps. First, how they got started, then watching them grow six stories high, and finally explaining how they were dismantled. But along the way, the reporters touched on other themes. It allowed us to do, like, all of the other things that we wanted to do anyway in terms of explaining, like, the impact of the corruption and the apathy and the racism. One of the last episodes steps away from Chicago to explore environmental racism in broad terms. The team wanted to know if what happened in North Lawndale was an anomaly. Robin was reading another book about garbage when she came across a sociologist named Robert Bullard, who's often called the father of the environmental justice movement. He proves that there are patterns of discrimination in, like, the impact of, of waste and, and industry. And he does it through this landmark lawsuit about landfills in Houston. And I was like, Eureka, that's it. Like, Bullard's our character. We got to go to Houston. Robin and Wilson Sayer, one of the show's reporters, went to Texas. And that trip turned into an entire episode on how Dr. Bullard found that dumping waste in minority neighborhoods was not limited to a few isolated incidents. It was a pattern. Planning and reporting a 10-episode season had its challenges, but it also meant the team was able to give the story the space and time it deserved. Like, if I were going to do this as a print story, I would I would write a book. Because ultimately, we'll have 10 episodes, so I think we're going to end up with between, like, 60 and 80,000 words of scripts. And so, you know, no magazine in the country is going to give you 80,000 words. We would have lost a lot of the richness and nuance of the story. It would have been easy to fill the show with sections on history and context read by Robin, the narrator. Instead, the characters explain backstory and push the plot forward. 
my big thing is like I don't want explainer segments. I want narrative. I want story. I want characters. I want people doing things for a reason. But the podcast still has the core elements of a traditional investigation. It's a really document-heavy story, actually. You just don't know that because of the way that we use the documents. Along with court transcripts read by actors, the team found a petition submitted by John Christopher to try and show a judge that he was doing good work in the community. We just told people that. We were like, we found this petition signed by 30 people in North Lawndale welcoming John Christopher to the neighborhood. And we didn't have to say, like, you know, documents obtained by the city. Like, we didn't use that tone. And that choice was intentional. We said very explicitly early on that we were never going to say in documents obtained by the city or, you know, a a three year long investigation by the city has found like we were just not going to use that language. The documents allowed us to build richness and detail and specificity into the storytelling. But we just didn't really talk about the documents. We just used the information in the documents to tell a good story. The show also includes some original data reporting. The data journalism team at USA Today recreated Robert Bullard's study of Houston, which was done in the 70s and explored whether neighborhoods with waste sites have more non-white residents. The new analysis confirmed his findings more than four decades later. But explaining numbers to listeners is always difficult. Without visual aids like maps or graphics, it can be hard to make the data connect. So they tried to find the right balance. We do have a paragraph where we explain our methodology, but we just give you enough so that we can show our work and hopefully, like, earn the trust of our listeners. We did our homework, that we, like, did this the right way. We, we really only tell you, like, as much as you need to know to understand the complexities of it. The first season of The City wrapped up in November, but they're not done. Season two will take place in Reno, Nevada, and Robin says it will follow the power struggles taking place there. Print reporters in the USA Today network have been able to pitch ideas for future seasons, which is how they found the story for season two. When ideas come in, Robin says there are a few elements she's looking for. I think you could make a compelling case that you could do almost any story in audio. I think the stuff that, that for me, works best in audio is stuff that has a story and stuff that has compelling characters and ideally characters that like you can talk to and hear from and like hear not just what they went through but like the emotion behind what what they went through. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out our episode notes for links to the city and resources for turning your investigation into a podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And you can spend hours listening to the stories behind some of the best investigative reporting in the country at ire.org podcast. On our next episode, Molly Parker of the Southern Illinoisan and ProPublica's local reporting network takes us through her deep dives into public housing. Her reporting found the federal government failed the citizens it was supposed to be sheltering. Public housing complexes, they were so far gone, they were so unsafe that there was no option but to tear them down. There was no money to rebuild. Yet these properties, up until six years or so ago, were receiving really high scores. The housing authority for a long time was rated a high performer or at least a senior performer, which means, hey, HUD thinks you're doing a great job. The Irie Radio Podcast is recorded in the studios of KBIA. 
Abby Ivergenia reported this episode. Sarah Hutchins is our editor. From Columbia, Missouri, I'm Tessa Weinberg. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. You might want to do that over. Okay. Podcast.